When people use the word codependent, what some people mean is that you're in a relationship with someone who, with an addiction, or they mean that you're just kind of dependent on another person. But codependency is really much more specific than that, and it can be much more soul-sucking than a lot of people realize for both the person who's acting in a codependent way and the person they're sinking their codependent teeth into. And I know that's harsh, but if you are in a codependent relationship, and especially if you already have had a life of trauma, I wanna strongly encourage you to get clear about what you're doing and do everything you can to heal it. So how do you know if you or your partner are codependent? Here are some behaviors that characterize codependency in relationships, and you can see if they apply to you. I'll tell you what they are, and then I'll come back through and talk about what you can do. But here's what it looks like. One is codependents second guess themselves when other people mistreat them. And instead of setting a boundary like walking away, which is where you would genuinely not accept bad treatment, a codependent will try to make the other person change like again and again and again. All right, number two is if the other person doesn't change, the codependent will generally increase the pressure. And as this pressure ratchets up with threats and, um, you know, you need to do this and telling you what to do. And if you don't change this, it can get very ugly. Um, but of course, it still doesn't end after that. Number three is codependents are not straightforward about their motives. They often don't know what their motives are. Things can get very tangled in, in the codependent mind with a lot of cognitive dissonance between the picture they're trying to paint for the world and to their partner and how things really are in the relationship and within themselves. Codependents will tend to express themselves with things that are more what they believe will be effective at making others care or change rather than expressing themselves directly and honestly and allowing the chips to fall where they may. And this can limit their ability to know what's true and what they actually want. Number four is, like everyone, uh, codependents want to feel happier, but they're working with trauma wounds that give them a blind spot toward the situations, the changes that can actually make them happy, which would be more in the realm of developing themselves, allowing relationships to form naturally with good people who care about them. So they're not focused on that. Number five, a codependent is waiting for another person to come along and give them the love and connection and financial stability and the vision that they want for their own life that they don't have for themselves. They're waiting and waiting because it's just not something that they generally can generate. So there's this weird quirk where instead of you know being self-determined and envisioning what they want and going for it, it loops into this other person and then they try to get it from that other person and it usually never works. So they'll often attach, this is number six, to uh, dysfunctional people, which gives them the opportunity to play the role of the fixer. It's a powerful instinct that fires up to fix, and this distracts them from all that's missing in their life. They're not doing this consciously, but that's definitely the result, is they're not getting what they want, they're just, this fixing energy is just sending all of their willpower just out towards something else, towards somebody else. All right, number seven, codependents like to feel like 
the responsible one, the wise one, the poor suffering one who holds everything together even though people have seldom asked them to play this role. Have you done that? I do so much for you and you don't do it back. <laughs> but is that what anybody asked you to do? That's something to check in yourself. Because for a codependent, you know, playing that role, you know, the wise, long-suffering advisor, it's how they get their sense of belonging and how they get their sense of meaning. But it's not actually what's going on. It's a role. All right, number eight, the importance that a codependent places on seeming to have it all together often, you know, prevents them from connecting with people or asking for help when they need help. There's just this huge, you know, need, the look good, it's called. They have a look good and it's a barrier. So number nine is, they find it hard to admit personal failures and worries and things that most people all feel from time to time. Like, you know, um, you know, oh, I feel like hardly anyone genuinely likes me, like a big self-doubting thought like that. Or, or I thought I'd be further along in my life than I am right now. Like, is that something that you ever admit to other people? Because a codependent doesn't want to admit that to other people, can't really get in touch with that feeling of self-defeat or worry, right, about themselves. Number 10, they will generally describe their pain as something someone else did or failed to do. And you will have this hard time when you, you know, sometimes I ask people when we bring them into the coaching program, can you tell me what you want to heal? And they can't. There, there are certain people who can't really, they can't, they can't answer the question, how would you really like your life to be? And they can't answer the question, what would you like to heal? that it tends to be a story about other people and what those people did. You know, my mother did this and she did that and my partner is just so this and that. And so the whole problem is described, what they, what they want is described as, it's just like there's this whole narrative that comes up about somebody else. And that's, you know, it's very, it's very obvious right there when somebody cannot describe what they want, what's been going on right there. We all have had problem people in our lives at times, and it does, it can be very energy consuming, worrying about them, you know, hoping they don't just drag us down into their problem. Okay, fair enough. But a codependent has a really hard time seeing that they signed up for that relationship for, for, you know, we sign up for most of our relationships and that those relationships, they're just not like something that happens to the, to you. So number 11 is, a codependent confuses themselves with another person or more specifically another person's problems, focusing entirely on trying to solve the other person's problems rather than solving their own problems and accomplishing what they want in their lives. You know, that just becomes their whole mission is like, I'm going to get that person to change. So number 12 is they deeply believe that if the other person changed, they would be happy. And they do this even when the other person is someone they've only dated for a short while. And that's an example of extreme codependence that can be quite alarming, is that after a very short time, somebody's life is completely capsized and they see them, their, themselves as having no choice, no other options, because look, this other person, right? It's just, you know, they've just like hitched their wagon to it as if it cannot be separated. Number 13 is a codependent will sometimes purchase books. They'll research therapists out there and they'll watch videos, including my videos, all to help their partner 
who they believe needs the resources but just won't admit it. So I get that a lot and I'm, I'm happy for people to watch videos and they say, how do I get other people to watch this? You really can't make people watch videos or take courses or see a therapist. You cannot force it unless they're breaking the law or they're a threat to themselves or others. And there it is. So the thing to do in that situation is to get your own help to pursue resources for yourself. And so you'll see that a lot. This is often, uh, codependency shows up as this, like, um, I was with this guy and he was, ter he was a terrible abusive narcissist. And I finally, you know, we finally broke up and now I've been on my own for several months and I'm doing better and I want to send, them, send him this book about narcissism because I think it will help him. And I, <laughs> if, if they've hired me to coach them, I'm just like, no, <laughs> no, if you think they're so terrible, stop having contact with them and um, allow them the dignity to suffer with their own problem or find their own solutions. But if you're the victim of their terrible treatment, you are not the person to try to help them right now. That's, that is codependent sort of jumping in to try to divert you from looking at the pain of being somebody who chooses that sort of person as a partner for staying in such a relationship for as long as you did. It's painful. You're out now. You're actually in this very good place. But codependency can really just like every all of our negative tendencies can sort of show up in that void when we're we've gotten out of the bad thing, but the good new circumstances haven't begun yet. The way you can court those happy new circumstances of life is to accept the loss of the ending and to cut contact with the people who hurt you. Number 14, they don't tend to seek resources for themselves, codependents, or even admit they have a problem. And that echoes a lot of what I said here. You know, there's all that focus on helping other people. Other people have problems. They're not doing anything right. And if you're doing that, it's almost always a sign that you need to be seeking your own resources. Number 15 is to the codependent, their own negative patterns feel like a force of nature. It feels like a curse. It feels like something that just happens. Like, why? Why does this keep happening? And so if you catch yourself thinking that, ask yourself if there's this just a little diversion in there that makes it difficult for you to see that there's a pattern. And if the pattern is happening again and again, it's not because everybody out there is a certain way. It's because you have a pattern and you end up connected to people like that again and again. You can change that. It's good news. It's good news when it's in here because it means you can change it. So number 16 is a codependent often feels resentful and taken for granted because they do so much for the other person who never reciprocates or barely does or kind of half-assed does and doesn't appreciate or value all that the codependent is doing for them. And this is a normal dynamic that develops when one person is codependent. It will tend to turn the other person into an avoidant and an underfunctioner, even if they weren't before. So an overfunction or overfunctioning is when you do more than your share of things and it often overlaps with codependency. It, it, they, they are two slightly different spheres, but big overlap there where you do things for other people that they could do for themselves, but you just believe like they won't do it right. I have to do it. <laughs> Sounds a little too familiar to me, honestly. <laughs> I think I do that, but it produces underfunctioners. So it's really important not to do that for yourself and for other people. Um, number 17, when you ask a codependent about their own hopes and plans, they just have trouble answering. And it feels to them that, you know, that maybe the future is something they can consider in the future, but right now is a crisis. I can't even think about that. And when this passes, maybe I'll catch my breath and I'll think about what I want to do with my life. But because of a codependent's choices, 
there is almost always a state of crisis around them and there's never a quiet spell. Quiet spells are uncomfortable and then, you know, behaviors begin that will draw in a crisis. And who's doing that? Okay, something to ask yourself. So number 18, codependent people tend to repeat their relationship patterns on the job with their supervisors and with their coworkers. And so whatever goes on in, you know, uh, partner relationships happens again there. It often began in childhood. So it's a pattern. It's kind of a groove that a person's spirit gets into as being codependent. And again, they will tend to believe that they just attract these people. Like, where do they come from? And they can't see that, in fact, they are the one drawn to those people who will treat them that way. They're attracted to the bad dynamic that they have with people who will sort of be on the receiving end of codependent behavior. It activates a toxic stress to you know come around somebody like that and when your life is really empty toxic stress can feel like a high and i always say it's like the methamphetamines of emotional highs it's a drug that like gives you a very quick high and then has terrible damage for years and years for your life and is very hard to stop so you don't want to do that we seek a high emotionally really to treat depression anger can be a high um, you know drama can be a high even sadness and limerence can be a high but feeling like you know, once again, for the codependent, that feeling that they're going for is, I'll just step in as the wise one, the long-suffering one, the one who has done so much silently suffering and pressuring other people to change. And it just leads to more unfulfillment and more failure and more need to step into these, you know, dysfunctional roles. So number 19, because of all this, codependents often live with a toxic level of stress and it makes them prone to stress-related illnesses and chronic pain and autoimmune disorders and um, you know getting sick all the time and financial problems and social isolation those are side effects of living in a codependent manner you know you just you you really can't get away with avoiding what you know your own life and trying to run it through somebody else's life and then suck it back out of them it won't work when codependents don't get what they want, and they seldom do, they can get very angry and lash out or even explode. And um, this can isolate a codependent further and drive people off the very relationships that might help them and support them as they try to make positive changes. So it can be a negative cycle. And being isolated like that, it strengthens all other aspects of codependency. So what do you do? Let's go through that list again, and I'll mention some steps you can take. You don't have to do all of this at once. At the end of the video, I'll point you to a free download where I list these signs, and you can use that to, to you know, craft a plan to, of healing for yourself. So number one, if you second guess yourself when other people mistreat you, it's time to consciously stop trying to make the other person change and focus instead on what you need to change. And probably it's setting boundaries, honestly. There's no substitute for having a trusted person like a therapist or a 12-step sponsor or a coach who can help you spot where your boundaries really are and how you can express them and honor them so that it becomes almost impossible for anybody to walk all over you. Number two, when you set boundaries, you can ask the other person for the change you want. But if that doesn't happen, when you feel the urge to increase your pressure on them to change and make you happy, take that as a, as a cue that it's time for you to do your work, that you need to change so that you can be happy. Maybe you can change within the relationship or maybe it's so far gone that you will need to step away from the relationship.
to work on this. You don't have to figure that out instantly. Once you start focusing on yourself and working to bring your focus back to yourself, the answers will come naturally. Number three, pay attention to whether you can express yourself in a straightforward way. Not with hints, not with role-playing or expecting somebody to read your mind, not as a helpful critic, you know, that little, I just, you know, I just had a little thought that might help you, but can you say directly what is bothering you and what you want from another person? Now keep in mind, they're, they're not obliged to become who you want them to be, but you get to ask and you get to find out how they respond to that, what they can do what they what they blow off and won't do at all, what they will do. And the more you t can tell the truth about what you feel and what you want, not with pressure and anger, but just saying as a fact, you know, I, I feel really worried about the fact that you're not working and I'm getting resentful that I have to bring in all the money for everything we need. That is straightforward. It's not, honey, I think you'd be happier if you started working again. It's not your job to tell them what would make them happy. It's your job to be honest about yourself. And when you do this, you may not get the answer that you want, but you'll see what the relationship is made of and it will force you to face reality. And who knows, reality might be something that you end up liking better than your imagined version of who the other person was supposed to become for you. But it will help you get to know your own mind, your own heart, and that's a good thing. All right, four, you, you want to really ask yourself what you need to be happy and you might not know. <laughs> you have to rule out the requirement that someone else change too. That's, that's my rule for you. That's a fantasy that you're pressuring them with. You might be right that it would solve problems for them, but it's not happening right now. So it's so important that from that place in reality, you're able to imagine and envision what it really is for you because it's possible to be happy whether anyone else changes or not. And I know it's complicated sometimes. I know people can create problems, but it's possible. And your happiness depends on taking responsibility for that and taking action on it for yourself. Like everyone, you need some joy in your life and you need relationships with a few good people who care about you. And this tends to be what makes people happy. So number five, discipline yourself to notice when you are operating on a belief that you are helpless and someone else has to come riding in to bring good things into your life, whether it's love or money, um, some direction for your life to go in. It's very easy to surrender all of these to someone who simply can't do it for you or doesn't want to do it for you. And you can take these building blocks of happiness back into your own hands and begin making a life for yourself, a good life with or without them. And you may be new to all this, especially if you didn't learn any of it from your parents, but you can learn it. I definitely recommend 12-step programs, maybe even Codependence Anonymous as a place where you can befriend other people who are practicing joy and autonomy in their own lives and setting boundaries. Number six, this is a hard one, but chances are you have attached yourself to one or more dysfunctional people. And it's gonna feel like everything depends on you fixing them so they'll finally see the light. And I do know what it is to live in fear that a loved one will die if they don't get it together. It's so hard not to try to just grab them, you know, it's be like, come on. And it's not that you can't be loving and supportive, but it's different than that fixer energy that characterizes codependence. It's time to turn off the fixer engine. And at first, this may make you very anxious. You can try it with smaller things at first, just to have the experience of letting the chips fall where they may, just a little bit. 
And mostly, you're going to be happily surprised at how smoothly life can go even when you're not, you know, driving, even when you're not fixing everyone and pushing them along. When you experience this, you'll be vulnerable to a codependent relapse because fixing people may have become your identity. It's how you get your sense of belonging. It's where you get your fuel in the morning. So it may feel very quiet and empty at first, but hang in there. This is the space where real joy and real purpose can come in and gently, gradually begin to fill you. Number seven, letting things fall apart because you're not fixing things might make it so that other people can see that everything is not as perfect as you may have wanted them to think. And the good news is your perfect picture of yourself that you're putting out there is actually alienating for other people. It shuts down any real connection. And this is a big reason why you may have suffered so much in your life with loneliness, not having people who care about you and who will help you when you need help. So that can begin to melt. Number eight, and you'll need people and a place. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, but at least one place where you can honestly admit your personal failures and what you're struggling with. 12-step programs are great for this. Your new friends there love you more when you're honest about your faults and problems. That's how it goes there. It, <laughs> that's what people connect with. And it's such a relief for everyone to just get real for an hour. Number nine, it's time to take stock of how your own actions and choices have played a role in this struggle that you're having. And if you're an adult and you're inclined toward codependent behavior, it will feel like this is just happening to you. And it's true, you may have been shaped into this role by childhood trauma. But now you're an active player in the dynamic and all it takes is one person to change the dynamic. So why not let it begin with you? 10 is to be very clear what other people's problems are versus your own problems. So here's where friends who are also working to heal from codependency can be so helpful. It's not always easy to see clearly what, what our own actions and motives are. What are our problems? What is not our problem? Once you make some progress, it's gonna free up so much of your energy that you used to spend trying and trying to solve problems that there was no way you could have solved. And you can do something nice for yourself instead. You're gonna like that. 11 is catch yourself every time you're ruminating about other people's failures and falling into that trap of giving them the power to give you happiness or take it away. Your happiness is an inside job. And if you're lucky, you're gonna have some positive relationships that contribute to your happiness, but not when you're outsourcing all responsibility for that happiness. It never works like that. It's got to be from your clarity and your actions. Number 12 is to be especially vigilant in new relationships that you're not putting emotional spackle all over the holes in the relationship or the deficits in the person. And this is what I call crap fit. That's crappy childhood fairy language for when you fit yourself to you know, unsuitable people and, and horrible situations. We get too good at fitting ourselves to crap in our lives. And if you had to do this early in your relationship, to maintain your sense of hope and love that, you know, you, you meet somebody and you just want it to work out so much and then the problems appear and you're like, wait, I, I'm gonna make a way I don't have to look at that right now so that I can believe that this is gonna work out. I totally understand the desire for that. But this is your time to connect with your healing friends and get very honest with them and get their support to get back on your path and use your senses to determine, is someone a good match for you or not? 
So 13 is, if you find yourself buying books or contacting a therapist or offering to pay someone to get help, you know what that means, right? A, you're doing it again, and B, this is your cue that you need to help yourself. It's a weird loop that the codependent mind does when it needs help. It tries to get someone else to get help. Help yourself. So 14 is take seriously that you need the books and therapy and courses and just keep your focus inside your own hula hoop, as we say, keep it on yourself. When you heal yourself, it will tend to have a positive effect on other people in your life. And that is your best chance at actually influencing other people. If you don't really know how your healing is supposed to go, sometimes just taking one little step into that healing will start to open your mind and reveal to you what the problem is. So it's always worth putting your toe in. 15, remember, this sick and draining dynamic isn't just happening to you. You're not cursed, you're not doomed, you're just operating with codependent tendencies and these can be healed. 16 is to deal with all your resentment. And if you tell me you're not stuffed with it, I'll just have to invite you to let, let it in. When you spend all of your life energy on someone else and you didn't get that energy back from them, it's a ripoff. Of course you're angry. Of course you do more for them than they do for you. And it feels like a ripoff. But the thing is, you are the one giving it all away. You're stealing from yourself. And it's totally normal when one person becomes the fixer, the other person becomes the slacker. And it sucks, right? It, it literally, it sucks the life out of you. And the only way that stops is if you stop your part in the dynamic. 17 is, it's time for you to flesh out a vision for your life. And when you've withdrawn from living from crisis to crisis, you'll have extra energy and maybe even a sense of emptiness. And that's hard. That's a little hard pause right there when you feel empty after the crisis passes. That is a perfect environment for you though, for your vision to develop. Sometimes in a context of a little bit of depression and pain is when it comes to us. But you have to give it a chance. You need solitude time. You need time to reflect. You need time to try things. And it's bumpy at first because you're addicted to not looking at your life. But very quickly, this time of quiet and opening up to your own agenda for your life begins to show you choices. It begins to fill you with hope. So 18 is to ask yourself if your codependent nature is also draining the joy out of your work. And yes, you can begin changing this dynamic. And if you don't have the power yet to do that, you can try changing the job. <laughs> 19 is, and this may sound extreme, but it's realizing the consequences if you continue to live at this level of unfulfillment and toxic stress. This is not who you were meant to be, forcing things all the time, feeling disappointed and exhausted and alone. You need and deserve love and support. 20 is, don't wait to make these changes. Don't let it get so bad you, that you lash out or you burn bridges and sacrifice your money and your stability and your happiness. Healing can begin right now, today. And I promise you one small step can make such a happy difference. And that next step just sings in your ear, inviting you forward, and it feels good. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, Think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.